Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, this is Carla Unseth, and welcome to Building a Bridge to God's Word, where we are talking about the Bible and Bible translation. And over the past few podcasts, I've actually been talking about a Bible study method. I feel like as people who already have the Bible in our own language, we have a responsibility to use it and to apply it to our lives. So I've wanted to give you a method that you can use in your own personal study to read and study the Bible. So this method is a pretty commonly used method of observation, interpretation, and then application. And I've been illustrating it with a bridge. So on one side of the bridge, we have the observation phase. And that's what we look at. What did this, what did this Bible passage mean to the original people? We look at their culture. We observe the passage. Then the bridge itself is the interpretation phase where we look at what is this what principles are in this passage that we can apply across cultures and across time to all people. And then we take that, we step off the bridge onto the other side, and that is the application phase where we actually apply it to our own lives. So over the past few podcasts, I've been actually going through this method with you. We've been studying the passage of Mark 1, 21 through 28. And the last two podcasts, we did observation where we looked at the text and looked at what it meant in the context of the original readers. And what we came up with is that this passage demonstrates Jesus's authority over impure spirits. And it might also um, demonstrate that Jesus was the Holy One of God. But we had some questions. If you'll remember, we ended by asking some questions. And so as we move into the interpretation phase, one of the things that we'll do right away to start understanding the deeper meaning of the passage is answer those questions. So if you'll remember, the questions that we had were about demon possession first. What did the Israelites believe about demon possession? That's a major part of this passage. So what did that look like? What was their understanding? And the second question we had had to do with authority. And they talk a lot in this passage about authority. So how was Jesus's authority different than the teachers of the law? And what did it mean for Jesus to teach with authority? Then our third question had to do with this phrase, the Holy One of God. What, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Holy One of God? And who is that? Who is the Holy One of God? So we have a few tools that we can use to help answer these questions and to help find that meaning of the passage that can apply across cultures and across time. And our first tool is cross-references. So you can always use the Bible to interpret itself because the Bible never contradicts the Bible. So whenever you have a question about what it means, you can always look up other passages and see what, what the Bible says in other places and use that to help inform your understanding of a current passage. So that's where we're going to start. So the first question that we asked last week was about demon possession. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's actually quite a few places in the New Testament, a lot of stories where it talks about demon possession. So 
for the in the interest of time, I'm not going to look up all of these passages with you. And what I did, an easy way to do this is to go either look in the concordance of your Bible or if you have like a app or a computer Bible, there's even biblegateway.com where you can do searches of the Bible. You could do a simple search like typing in the word demon and seeing what comes up. There's other passages that might use something like spirit, impure spirit as opposed to demon. So you can type in some of those keywords and see what comes up and you'll find that there's a lot of stories about demon possession. Um, you'll see what demon possession does to people. There's, for example, a story of the Gadarene demoniac. You can look that one up. But it gave this man super strength. They bound him with iron and he could just break right out of it. Um, there's a story of a man who's mute as a result of a demon. It wouldn't let him speak. There's a story of a boy with a demon where the demon would constantly try to hurt him or destroy him by making him fall into a fire or into water where he might drown. So we also see some things like sometimes a person can have more than one demon. Again, go back to the Gadarene demoniac. He had a legion of demons. It's mentioned that Mary, one of the women who followed Jesus, had seven demons cast out of her. So you can kind of see from this that demon possession was fairly common, fairly understood or just accepted among the people of Jesus's time. No one was skeptical about, about whether or not these people had a demon. In fact, whenever anyone did something out of the ordinary, it was blamed on a demon. People said that John the Baptist had a demon because he wore strange clothes, ate strange food, and was preaching this message that no one had heard before. And in fact, people also said that Jesus had a demon. I'll give you a reference for this one. If you look up John 7, 14 through 24, Jesus is teaching in the temple and at one point says, why are you trying to kill me? And the people respond by saying, you have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? So they're, they're saying, you're saying something crazy. You must be possessed by a demon. Now you might be thinking this statement actually sounds a little bit like something that someone with a mental illness might say. And the Bible doesn't necessarily talk about mental illness. So that might be something that we might want to look into and maybe in a commentary. That'll be another one of our tools. So let's file that one away. When we look at commentary, see if any of them mention mental illness and the relationship between demon possession and mental illness. But for now, we can kind of summarize what we have learned about demon possession. And we've learned that it was an accepted fact in Jewish culture. We've learned that it did strange things to people. People who were possessed by a demon were destructive, were powerful, may have been hurt or inhibited by the demon. We've also learned that multiple demons could possess somebody. So, so those are some of the things that the Bible tells us about demon possession and what Jewish culture believed about it. So let's go on to our next question. We'll come back to this one and look at it again when we talk about commentaries. But for now, let's look at the question of authority. What did it mean for Jesus to teach with authority? And how is his authority different from the teachers of the law? So again, what I did, I went to my Bible app. I typed in the word authority to see what came up. Um, there might be other ways that you can look also, but this is just a basic easy start. And found that there's over a hundred uses of the word authority in the Bible. And I looked specifically at the New Testament and the Gospels, since we're talking about Jesus's authority, and found that there's a lot of really interesting verses that talk about Jesus's authority. 
And so I'll just give you a few of them, a few of the important ones. So the first is when Jesus heals a paralyzed man. I'm sure you've heard this story. So a man is paralyzed and his friends can't give to Jesus. So they go up on the roof and dig a hole and lower the man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus forgives the man's sins, much to the chagrin of the religious leaders. And Jesus responds to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then tells the man to get up and walk, and the man does. So here, Jesus is demonstrating that he has authority both in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. He had authority over the man's physical sickness, and he also had authority to forgive sin. And this is something that the religious leaders did not have. They obviously didn't have the physical authority, and they also did not have the spiritual authority, which is what made them so upset in this case that Jesus was claiming to have that authority. So we move on. We have another encounter with the religious leaders in John 7. Jesus goes to the Festival of Tabernacles, and he gets up to teach. And then in John 7, 15, it says that the Jews were amazed at how well he taught since he had no formal religious instruction. So here we can see where the religious teachers normally received their authority. They could teach because they had been taught. They got their authority from their education, from their understanding of the scriptures. And now they could be trusted to accurately explain and pass on those scriptures. Jesus, however, did not have that authority. He had never learned, he had never received the scriptures through his education. So where was he getting this understanding from? How could he be trusted to pass on accurately the words of God? And Jesus answers them in verse 16 that his teaching comes from God himself. And then in verse 28, he says, I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. And actually, Jesus says something like this in many of his teachings. His authority comes directly from God. And not only that, but his authority doesn't extend to merely passing on the scriptures, but to healing our physical bodies again, to casting out demons, forgiving sins, and even power over nature. So the people recognize this difference. And that's why they said this is a new teaching and with authority, different authority than the religious leaders had. It's also why the religious leaders understood that Jesus had different authority and, and were angry and afraid of him because they recognized that he had authority that they didn't have. And they were also afraid. I mean, there was some legitimate fear that he was acting like he had this authority but didn't really have it. So to kind of sum this up, we can see that Jesus's authority was different because it was not from education, but rather it came directly from God and that it included authority in both the spiritual and the physical realm. So if we move on then to our last question, the last question is, who is the Holy One of God? The Holy One of God was actually a little bit harder to find using cross-references. I looked up Holy One of God and actually found that it's only used in this story, which this story occurs twice, here in Mark and then again in Luke. And then it's also used in John 6.69. And in John 6.69, Jesus has t- 
taught the people and some people are upset with his teaching. And he, he ends up saying to the disciples, what about you? Are you going to leave me too? And the disciples say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the disciples give this affirmation of belief. So, so we can see that, that there is something there of affirmation of Jesus coming from God. And that's what this Holy One of God probably means. But that's something we'll have to look a little bit more at in the commentaries. So that's actually our next tool is the commentaries. And that's what we're going to look at next in order to get more insight into this passage. So that will actually be our next podcast is to look at commentaries and see what they have to say about this passage. So thank you so much for joining me this week. And I hope to see you next time on Building a Bridge to God's Word.